I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, God, what kind of sick guy is this? I mean, even the music that he started out with was melancholy. It's like, <laughs> okay, this difficult conversation thing, this is really going to be bad, right? But, you know, really, I mean, again, we're growing, right? We're learning. So we got to go through it sometimes. So let's get on with it. You've been here, you know, you've gotten your last set of stories or functions or even in the middle of them. You demo this thing and it's not quite what the user or the requester, you know, whatever had in mind. It's maybe just not hitting the mark on the what. Um, now, it's up to you, product owner. You know you got some changes to make. You know you got to make some changes necessary to get this thing flying right. Now, depending on when this feedback comes to you, at what point of the process or your method here, you really got two options. You're going to respond or you're going to react. Okay. So responding to change from the Agile Manifesto, this does not mean reacting to change. Those are two different words, okay? This is one of those get-your-butt-kicked kind of difficult conversations, right? So product owner, part of responding to change means that we're going to make accommodations based on our learning. Obviously, the more often and the earlier we learn, the less likely we are to have lots of these major changes, right? You have to create your own way to try to get ahead of this kind of thing. For me, and I've shared this with you, it's just part of my common practice. It's part of my policy. I meet with the primary stakeholder, sponsor, requester, whoever that is, weekly. That primary SME, that primary one who is going to give me the nod, the yay or the nay. Just a 30-minute touch point. Now, you may ask, well, Scott, I typically have more than one. And again, I, I want to make sure that I bring that primary person, that primary resource in, and here's why, okay? And I've said this before, and a lot of my buddies are going to laugh when they hear that, but the more folks you invite to your party, the better your chances of them breaking all your stuff, eating all your pizza, and spilling beer all over the place, okay? So we don't want that. That's why I keep this to a very low number. If it's one or two, I'm down with that. In fact, if it's two, sometimes I'll even take that primary requester here, spend the first 15 minutes with them, and then add the others to an optional second 15 minutes. Or, you know, if you want to do a full hour, it's, if that's agreeable, and split it 30-30, whatever the case is, invite who you need to. You don't have to have the entire organization invited to this party, okay? If you do that, you're going to find yourself in a no-win situation when you invite too many folks. It's not because you're going to get multiple answers. It's really just the opposite in my experience. It's because you're likely going to get no answers, and you don't want to be there, right? I mean, you want to get feedback. You want to get answers. So, see, folks are less likely to open discuss, uh, openly discuss things with you if there are three or more gathered, all right? If somebody else is there, if there's more than three people, three or more people, you're probably not going to get a lot of feedback. There are just way too many... I'll just say it. There's way too many agendas in that. So we don't want to, as product owners, because remember, we're on that balance beam. We don't want to encourage them to get into the I'm shutting down mentality. We don't ever want that. We want open conversation and feedback. So what is it, again, that we want to do in this in this session? And again, I've shared with you what works for me. Um, it, it's really part more of building the uh, relationship and I'm desperately seeking the relationship because I've told you before, Scotty loves the win-win, right? Um, I told you that if you're waiting until the sprint demo or your iteration review or whatever to show your work, you're probably late. You're probably behind the curve. 
Um, so this time is spent together showing what we did, telling a story of what we're doing now, and describing what we think is next. And, you know, all of that can change based on what we're learning, right? I mean, we all we all understand that. I'm not so sure we effectively communicate it, but it can, okay? I've also shared with you staying, in, staying ahead of the game is imperative. It's not just a target state. It has to be your newly defined permanent state. Now, don't confuse this with being a year ahead. I've already talked about that, okay? Um, you got a team that is focused on delivering what you have provi- uh, prioritized for them in this iteration based on your sprint goal. I hope. Um, we're not talking, it's, it's for today. We're not talking about next time. We're not talking about next year. Now, I told you that we're probably going to look at a set of difficult conversations today. So here goes the first one of these. Um, what you want to do, um, you want to protect yourself to make sure um, that responding to change doesn't turn into reacting to change. If you're staying ahead of the game, if you're doing your homework, you're showing your work. Um, remember, we did that in math. Show your work. So you're doing that so frequently that you can learn quickly and your sprint backlog's not going to get hijacked with reactionary changes. Okay, so I'd say that first. So if you don't have that plan in place, put some kind of plan. doesn't have to be the same one I do. Just put some kind of plan in place. I've seen these reactionary changes to work in progress, and I can tell you that it's really detrimental on a lot of levels, okay? It's just not not becoming of your product owner to change lanes or direction mid-sprint. We know that, okay? Think of what you're doing to the team when you do that. Look, their priority can't be your emergency just because you didn't do your due diligence, okay? I want to start by saying that I hope you're not dealing with this very much. But when you do, I want to just give you one way to alleviate this kind of outcome. Okay, One thing that I learned a long time ago was a lesson about confirming the affirmative, getting the affirmative. That's It's very simple. Okay, And again, thinking patterns here, guys. We're not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you exactly what to do or how to solve for it in any given organization. It just doesn't work that way. Um, thinking patterns. So I incorporate this simple tactic or strategy in communication uh, into the weekly work sessions along with the way of the peers and other SMEs. I, I do that with people around me anyway. So the value in getting the affirmative is that we remove or at the very least we reduce the unknown, which, oh my God, the unknown. <laughs> the unknown. How many times have we ever said that as a product owner? The unknown. The unknown is difficult to manage. I mean, it's not known, right? Um, it's so dreadful to deal with the unknown. But look, here's a tip for you, okay? We deal with the unknown. That's that's why we do what we do. If we already had all the answers and we already knew exactly what we were going to do and how we were going to be doing it, we certainly wouldn't be practicing Agile or Scrum or Lean Development anyway, right? So the unknown is part of the job. The predicament, though, we often find is that uh, you know, obviously, I mean, we don't know what we don't know. All that's true. And look, I'll tell you like this. If you, let, let's see how we can handle that not knowing what we don't know, okay? Um, let's say you're teaching your kids how to brush their teeth, all right? Um, if you have kids. If you don't, just play along. Maybe it's your dog. I don't know. Um, you just give them a toothbrush and some toothpaste and say, here you go, brush your dang teeth, you nasty vulture. No. You show them how first, right? You probably do it with them first. You baby step them into it. When they start doing it by themselves, you point out tips along the way. 
and uh you know get back here you know get back there whatever and then and then what does the child typically say when they first grab that toothbrush on their own you know it's normally am i doing this right or is this what you mean or like this you know when you give the answer yeah it's like that or it's no that's not exactly it let's move over here then what you're doing is you're affirming something right it's either right or it's wrong so the goal here is really simple. We want to brush the front, the top, the back, and all that jazz, right? So you have to remember what you're, when, when you're getting the affirmative, the question has to be relative to the goal, all right? Um, the kid isn't going to ask you about putting on deodorant while we're having the toothbrush activity, okay? Um, and you shouldn't mix those two. Uh, if you ask questions like this, and by the way, there's no cut, cut and dry language that I absolutely buy into, um, I wouldn't absolutely coach you on absolutes like that, but I would encourage you to ask with open questions for sure. Like, what are your thoughts on this approach? Or this is what the team had in mind. Is this what you had in mind? Um, you know, you don't want, is this what you had in mind? You want the team kind of had this. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. You know, you don't want yes or no answers really at first. Okay, I mean, you do want a yes or no answer, but you don't want that at first. You want to dig in and understand where their thought process and their acceptance is first. What is their adoption level so far? Then you come around to the yes or no question. Um, and that is, you know, if you agree with this, then this is what we're rolling with. Do you agree? Yeah, sure. Or no, you're still crazy, <laughs> right? I mean, that could happen. So you'll know after working with this, uh, with this kind of uh, tactic, I guess, how best to communicate and ask those questions, um, especially if you're getting more uh, comfortable and a better understanding of the learning style of the folks that you're working with. But when you can confirm the affirmative, you know that you're doing the thing right, right? So get that affirmative with your questions, Make sure that this thing that you're doing or demoing or whatever is solving the right problem the right way. Finding that affirmative also means that you're anticipating objections to it as well. And you can't forget that part. we got to anticipate objections. Why are they going to tell us this sucks? Why are they going to tell us they're not going to buy in? You know, just be critical of your, of, of your work, of yourself, of your solutions, whatever. And, and go ahead and go with that in mind. Have, be prepared to combat that objection now i hope this has given you some insight on how you can apply your own method maybe of solving the problem of being reactionary to changes if you affirm the positive it goes a long way because now what you're doing is you're leaving a little bit smaller tolerance i guess uh, within which those reactionary changes could come right so uh, it goes a long way in the development of product um, the relationship in, and even in your facilitation of larger small groups when you're discussing roadmap stories, work we're doing, all of that stuff. So there, we had a difficult conversation. Um, now, it's going to get a little bit more difficult, okay? But I would like for you to stick around to the next segment. Thanks. Welcome back, or at least I hope you stayed around. <laughs> um we talked about getting the affirmative and maybe a mechanism that we can use to obtain it. Maybe some of the language and you think about that based on that delivery of how well you know your audience, right? Now, let's talk a little bit more about what maybe you could expect from that, um, particularly when you maybe got the yes, but then something happens and you get the no. 
uh, or even worse, you can't seem to get that affirmative in the first place, you know. Um, what are some of the objections you're going to anticipate, right, if I'm a new product owner or if I'm uh, kind of studying this to maybe get better, uh, middle of the road here, middle of the game, maybe it's not quite good enough or maybe it's not what I had in mind or the dreaded, and we all love this when it's what I asked for, but it's not what I need. <laughs> you know, those that's, that's one of the predicaments you might find yourself in. Now, if you find yourself in any of these predicaments, I think that you're able to resolve a lot of these uh, by getting ahead of the objections because remember that one of our goals is to learn quickly. Now, this gives you a perfect opportunity, really, I think, to find value in the suggestion of confirming the affirmative. So if you're not working with them, and again, you can't wait to the end of the sprint or the iteration. You can't wait till that demo to make that happen. Now, what happens when you can't get that? Well, again, I think... Uh, I think that you know working together is 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 often the best way obviously to get that and frequently showing but uh sometimes it's hard to navigate through um it's where you have to kind of think about why um why we can't get that affirmative um that's why I want to talk to you about in this next segment and um really what I want to do is I want to specifically address the pushback that you might get as it relates to the you know the not good enough uh, response you may you may get an objection that we didn't include option b or c you know in the stories and we really need to have that in order to go live uh, maybe they were okay at first to go with your first best option your cheapest choice or whatever but now you know they changed their mind and it's like okay we really need to have this and this in order to go um, you may have done that story map to determine that cheapest quickest most valuable option that's for that thing and you may have shown it to them up front. It still doesn't satisfy them. Um, even sometimes, you know, again, we may have gotten the go-ahead. We may have gotten the nod, but then somebody changes their mind, right? Um, maybe they won't adopt to it. You know, they won't adopt it because it doesn't have all the warm, fuzzy attributes that, that they were looking for, right? So when this happens, a lot of times our instincts are going to kick in, you know, and we're just going to assume that there's going to be some negotiation. We just need to negotiate this a little work it out and true there's often some kind of negotiation that we have to take uh that we have to to do here but um we want to understand you know what it is that we must have um and separating the must-haves from the nice-to-haves you know that's that's part of the deal but i would tell you that that kind of collaborative transaction where we're just you know negotiating um it's just really the start of it um if you you know, if you've covered this and worked with the folks on the solution and this set of options already, and uh, and now it seems that there's some kind of scope change to what we're doing, or at least that's how it appears, I think you got to take a step back and ask yourself why? Why are they, why are they telling me this now? Why are why are we changing this direction? Or why is it that this is no longer valid as an acceptable work? Right? There's one thing that I want to point out to you, and there's all kinds of reasons why right that that they could have done this but but here's one reason that I want you to protect against something's changed somewhere and I hope you're not in this camp okay I hope you're not in this category but maybe you are maybe this helps something's changed somewhere and if you find yourself in this position having to negotiate after you've gotten the affirmation or something you've agreed to you got to realize that there's been some kind of change somewhere that's contributed to that behavioral deviation because that's what that is right so here comes the next difficult conversation. And remember, I told you there, 
There are several different reasons for this, but we have to make sure that we understand why. Remember that I told you that there are some things you can't control. You got to learn to let those go. But I've also told you, you know, and recommended to keep your front porch clean. Um, what I want to make sure of is that whatever the reason in this behavioral deviation that's taking place, you want to make sure you're not the reason, product owner. Um, your front porch can't stay dirty too long, right? Here's why. It's because, you know, we got to make sure, and and this is part of the deal, I think, in being in the position that we're in a lot. We got to make sure that they haven't lost faith in your team ability to deliver working software. That's your goal, right? Your track record, that's going to be the winning ingredient for successfully coaching the stakeholder or the requester into the into the right mindset. That's what it's going to do. That's what it's going to take really to solve most of your issues when you're seeking that affirmative response too. You know, so your track record is one that hasn't produced much yet. That's valuable, potentially shippable and all that. Folks just really aren't going to lean in. They're not going to buy into your plan. Um, remember, I told you sometimes you have to have several wins under your belt. You got to have a few things out there in order to gain trust. And gaining that trust is not just in you. It's in the entire quote-unquote framework we all refer to as agile now um, they're going to be forced into a position to ask for more and more to get it done because they may have lost faith in the ability to deliver and i sure hope that's not the case but believe me as i said before you give anybody a reason right to tell your front porch is dirty trust me they're going to they will tell you and that actually comes from and usually comes in the form of actions taken and behavior shown it gets them really to the point of no return, and it's really hard to get back, you know, to get, get back in that circle of trust, right, that we talk about. So if they aren't seeing incremental value in user adoption early, meaning you haven't gotten several wins under your belt yet, their perception is that this whole Agile thing is a joke. And we know that it's not, right, but we got to deliver. And so product owner, you got to plan your work, work your plan. You got to be transparent about the obstacles and about the risk. Your scrum master is going to have to help you out with that too. And I'm not talking about, you know, necessarily making excuses or relying on the unknown and things like that. Now I'm preaching. Yeah, but it's a lesson I learned a long time ago, the hard way, by the way. So you know, I've never really gotten caught up into the, we can't because of this game, you know, we can't do it because of this, but it's real easy to get caught up in that game. I get it. Um, we need to think in terms of, yes, we can, uh, but we got to move this obstacle, you know, uh, or even an obstacle. And I'll be happy to point out that maybe we need to get this kind of support. And rather than being critical because we don't have that kind of support, let's figure out whatever it's going to take to push those distractions and those obstacles out of the way, right? Bring visibility, bring transparency to them. Produce usable working software that's potentially shippable. That is the goal, right? That's really the only way that you're going to win them over with any further coaching in your sessions with them. So, see, lot and, and look, I know you're going to, product owner, I already know what's in your mind because it's in all of our minds, okay, as product owners, that a lot of the organizations are up for the lean and agile challenge. They want to go this route. But, look, they, they may not exactly know how, know how. They may not exactly have the hands-on success stories that are sometimes needed to make it work, but look, I'm going to ask you this way, okay? Is it on them to execute? 
I mean, it's on them to enable you, right? And set up an environment that's conducive to what we're trying to do. But at the end of the day, you got a team of developers, you got a whiteboard, you got access to the repository, you got sticky notes, you got some tool, you got users providing input, you got a team to produce and test the output, and what where's the problem? Um maybe management needs a little help from you here. I mean, we're on the execution side of things. Remember, I told you that you are striving to become the SME. I didn't mean that you were striving to just be the SME for the product alone. I mean, you're striving to be the SME for the actual process, the master of communications, the windshield of transparency, all of those things, right? And I know that's silly, but if you think about it, the the organization is likely going to move slower than you are because you are on that pace. You are on that cadence. You are in those sprints. You are planning, and everybody's just running crazy and, and working their tails off, right? But if we're busy and working our tails off and not delivering, then that's a problem, right? So even though they're going to move a little bit slower than you, that's okay. It's another reason why you want to make it your mission to stay ahead, right? we got to stay ahead. Remember that if you get the affirmative and you consider the risk, and even if you uh, have trouble getting the affirmative, it doesn't matter. If you're bringing those up ahead of the play, then really that's all you can do, right? So run those things up however you can. Get some help with it. If it's something reasonable, look, if it's a reasonable obstacle that's keeping you from producing what you need to produce, management's going to understand that. Um, even if they don't give you the affirmative, even if they don't tell you that they understand that, they're going to understand it because, remember, there's there's usually a lot of organizational balls in the air at once. I mean, it's a juggling thing, you know, from the organization perspective. Um, but at the end of the segment, you know, I really hope that you can think of ways to clean up your front porch. Don't give somebody else a reason to call you out. Don't give management a reason to split up your team. We talked about that. Or even to stop you. I mean, you can't be stopped, man. You can stay in front of it. Go get it done. Stay in front of it and go get it done. Stay encouraged. If you take anything away from from this episode, I want you to take this point. The team is responsible for the output and the product owner is accountable. Sometimes we got to find ways to work around centralized decision making. Sometimes we don't necessarily agree with the priorities of the day or the sprint or the iteration, whatever. But look, conclusion here is that agile delivery models should produce working software faster and with more quality than traditional models. So we're given a bad name if we don't do that, if that's not the result, if that's not our outcome. So that's what we're trying to do here. Um, I really hope you stick around for the next episode. We're gonna, we're still going to have a difficult conversation, but it's not as difficult as this one, I don't think. Maybe, well, I don't know. Maybe it's not. But I hope the next segment is one that you stay around for because we're going to wrap up and we're going to talk about some things uh, or something at least that, that I really think that we should recognize um, in our day-to-day scrum and how we interact with the team, things like that. So stick around. So welcome back. At least I hope you're back. I hope you have stuck around for this uh, last segment here. We have uh, journeyed today through some really difficult conversations. And again, we you know, we've got to have those from time to time in order to grow. Now, some of this may hit home with you who may be newer at this or you're struggling right now. And then some of you are thinking, oh, my God, I know he didn't go there. <laughs> it's like, dude, really? Come on, man. I know you didn't go there. But, you know, look, we we got to have these conversations, right? So 
I want to try to end this one on a little more positive note, obviously, and get away from this difficulty. This level of difficulty is stressing to me. Uh, but I want you to know, newer newer product owner, um, you got more influence than you think. Um, sometimes you got to be bold to get things done, okay? You, you do have to plan your work, and you do have to work your plan. But I want to make sure you remember a couple of things about the process and the mindset and the spirit of Agile, okay? So with that said, there's one more somewhat difficult conversation that we need to have before we leave Planet Product Owner today. We started today's journey by talking about the Agile Manifesto, that we value responding to change over following a plan. And I said, I said that doesn't mean react to change, okay? Uh, also, look, it, the, the manifesto does not um, prescribe to us that we find no value in a plan. We just value responding to change over following a plan, okay? So what does this mean at the team level? Well, when you have a plan in place, you've gotten the affirmative, you feel pretty certain that we're on the right track, then out of nowhere, somebody who has influence on that, I mean, be it a sponsor, stakeholder request, or whatever, out of nowhere, man, it's like they want you to make a change today, in your sprint, today. I, wait, that's never happened to you? Okay, that's never happened to you before. All right, look. This is another difficult conversation, but it's not completely between you and I, product owner. This is not, it's not completely on us, but there are parts of it, okay? This is your chance to have a difficult conversation with that line of business or partner requester. But first, let's get some basic housekeeping out of the way for product owners in an attempt to keep our front porch clean, right? So here goes the fact that we have to go back and look at the distinction between respond and react. We have to do that, okay? You can't react to a request that has a team. You ready for this one? All right, this is where everybody, if I'm doing this in person, everybody's like, what the hell did he just say? All right, so what we got to do is this, is we've got to remember we can't react to a, a request that has a team jump off of a boat, catch a train in the middle of the road. I mean, that's confusing, right? That's intentional because that's what you just did to the team. You just confused them. So again... I want to remind you of the visual image that you are in. You are on a balance beam all the time. You got technology on one side, you got business on the other. You're balancing them. I also mentioned to you that we have to ensure that neither one of these sides gets too much, uh, well, too much, I'll just say power. So how can we handle that? Well, that part's really simple, but we make it difficult, I think. I think we make it harder on us than what we than than we should. See, depending on the request and the disruption that it could bring, now granted, I mean if 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 they're saying that what you're currently doing is so far out of the line that they've got a major decision break against what you're doing or whatever, those are things that are gonna have to be addressed with care, obviously, and those are things that I really don't think are the ones that we worry with so much as product owners. Um, I don't think those occur that often. I mean, they do, don't get me wrong, but it's not like this isn't like an everyday thing, right, or an every other sprint thing. So the ones I really want to focus on are those changes that are going to be requested as a result of just learning or discovery after something else has changed. It's impacted you, and I want to be clear about that. Um, this change is going to impact your work on your quote-unquote stories or your items or whatever your pro but it's still going to reside within the rails of the sprint goal. Now, these are the, this is the one that I want to specifically address. And yeah, I said inside the sprint goal. Because, see, it's still part of the sprint goal, 
but it really didn't get uncovered until today for whatever reason. All right, and they, they want you to jump ship, <laughs> jump boats, whatever. Many product owners and scrum teams alike have been taught, by the way, that once you make a commitment to the items in the sprint by, uh, into the sprint backlog, that's it. We're buckled up. We're locked down. Um, there's a couple of things that I want to share with you on this topic. First, a lot of folks misuse the term commitment, and they took it to mean that if we don't finish this, then we failed. We have utterly failed. Um, it's not the case, first, but second, of course, we may have been taught that if we take on some kind of change in the sprint, that means that something has to fall out, right? We've all heard this before. And maybe we even practice this, okay? So, and, and I, just, I just want you to know that today's public service announcement is brought to you in part by Planet Product Owner. Um, the term commitment was taken out of the Scrum Guide in 2011, I think, and it was replaced by the term forecast. And look, that led to quite a stir, and believe me, everybody's running out and looking at it and saying, okay, wait a minute, is it 2011, Scott, for real? I think it was 2011, somewhere around there. And, and yeah, that's a stir. But um, but I think that the difference between those two terms is really important for us to understand because we're doing a continual inspect and adapt. I mean, this is an empirical process, right? Empirical system. So we're learning. We're all learning, man. So can I just maybe help you out here so we don't get so much into syntax and process controversy? Because, look, remember, you all know me by now. I'm not in the process being the product. I'm not into that. Um, remember that I've told you that I have always tended to lean towards progress. I've also covered with you that as a product owner, we set priority from our product backlog. But I've also told you that I try to keep my sprint goals or sprint themes to a high-level description of functionality that we plan to introduce or get done. So let me see if I can wrap all that up in one package. And please, I'm begging you, please don't get caught up in the process so much that you defeat the very purpose that we're all striving for. Okay, sure. We can point back to some policy somewhere, defend our position. We can make syntax, make uh, the message be whatever it is that we want. Okay, and that's all good. But this is uh, one of my favorite parts of any episode, a reading from the Scrum Guide. <laughs> so, <clears throat> the Sprint Backlog is a plan with enough detail that changes in progress can be understood in the daily scrum. The development team modifies the sprint backlog throughout the sprint, throughout the sprint, and the sprint backlog emerges during the sprint. This emergence occurs as the development team works through the plan and learns more about the work needed to achieve the sprint goal. Now, couple of episodes back i said it, i said that the sprint goal was something uh, important so at what point did we say that the sprint goal was something insignificant to the sprint or the iteration or agile or scrum generally speaking now you see why i now label my sprint goals with a larger set of functionality that can be described or introduced right because experience has told me that we don't know everything about what we're doing anyway <laughs> i mean we don't so what does it really matter if somebody changes their mind seriously what does it really matter in the big scheme of things? I mean, are you that point-driven or estimate-driven? Um, I would say this, that it's okay to not know about the exact plan of attack, but we do know about the sprint goal. 
And it's okay for the team to manage the sprint backlog. It's okay for things to work out and emerge from that sprint backlog. It's their sprint backlog. That is their um, that is their execution path, if you will, to uh, supporting and reaching the sprint goal. The sprint goal is the important thing here. It's not it's not whether or not the task or the subtask or even the definition of that is so up to speed that it's so critical, right? Um, so, so that's just my experience, right? Um, that's just my experience. And, and I hope that that's something that you can learn from right there. Okay. But, um, it could be that we have to decrease some effort somewhere else. That could be, it could be that, um, that we have to shift our attention to something else. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, right? I mean, you can't point to some some document somewhere and say that if we take this on now we have to drop this. That's that's not what it's about. Um, it's why I told you in a previous episode that I typically add an outlier story, and I didn't want to really confuse those two in that thing, so I was kind of dancing around it um, because I didn't want you to get the idea. If you're a new product owner, I don't want you to get the idea that outlier stories are things that contradict or are outside of the lanes of your sprint theme are acceptable for your sprint goal. But I would say that, you know, if something goes off the rails, <laughs> you know, the team's got to have something to work on to lean toward progress, right? So that's why I've always had a practice of putting those outliers in there, particularly if it's something that I just got a feeling. You know, I just got a gut feeling that this is not going to exactly fly. This is not going to get the adoption that we're looking for or, you know, whatever. So now I'm not saying to you today, product owner, that you have to react. I'm not saying you have to set a different direction for the team sprint goal. I'm saying that you got to be flexible, and we've talked about that too. It doesn't mean that dropping everything is what you have to do to make it happen. Um, But it also may not necessarily mean that there's no way. It, absolutely not. We're not going to do this. Referring to a previous episode, it may not be no. It may just be not no, not right now. Okay, so you have some you have some ammo now, right? And again, you know your organization best. You should be getting to know your partners and contributors and all that. Um, you got this thing in your back pocket now to hopefully deal with some changes that are requested a little more effectively. Um, I hope today that you've learned today that there are all kinds of ways to handle that. You can readjust, refactor, elaborate, take a bigger story uh, into the thing and decompose it a little bit differently. Or maybe you've just got the ability to adapt to those changes anyway and respond in that way, but not react. Don't blow up the whole thing, but see if you can accommodate it to get it done because we are learning as we go, right? That's kind of part of the deal. Um, so through all of those ways that you could possibly handle it, I just want to make sure that there's one way that you're not handling it. Okay. And this is where that difficult conversation is. I don't, I don't want to see us handle it in a way, in any way that may contradict the very mindset and method of the spirit of being agile, the spirit of scrum or whatever lean spirit is lighting your path today, because we're in the business of handling the unknowns, okay? We got to keep that in mind. Um, so that was great. Whew. So let's see if we can land this plane and get back off of this planet before everybody, before I lose all of my listeners, I guess. Uh, difficult, difficult conversations are part of the job, 
really they're a big part of life too you know we know that we should embrace the difficult conversations because one thing we all have in common is that we can always improve right you can do all the planning that you want to but if you're not anticipating objections along the way and then you're not socializing it in a way it's easy to follow then a lot of times what you're going to find is the execution and adoption is really going to struggle um we're learning fast but we have to produce we have to kick things out quickly with quality so we can learn fast that's the only way we're going to be able to do it if we get back to the center for just a minute this is this this whole thing is an empirical process we're constantly inspecting and adapting at least that's the hope um you got to be flexible in responding to the changes even if it goes against your plan product owner the manifesto didn't say responding to change over following a plan unless of course it is the plan of the product owner that's not what it says okay it says you know you're included in that you're the team member you are a team member and we talked about those hats remember that all of these dynamics that we're looking at they make up the whole of what we're doing um i've said it before if we knew everything about what we were doing we wouldn't have a need for agile development right um let's lean towards progress you know that's been something that's been really successful to me you know if i get it out there and somebody blows up that sprint demo even though we may have gotten that affirmative in the past i'm still you know i'm still showing progress man we're still hitting the goal we're still hitting we're still going to hit the mark and we're going to learn and uh we're going to pick up the chips and move on man so I hope this episode was insightful for you today. And I, I really hate that we had to go there. <laughs> and I know some of you are like still like freaking out like, oh, my God, what is he? Do? It's just not fun anymore. Um, but please come back next time and we can maybe have a little bit more relaxed conversation. I think we will because the next episode is is actually about a topic that was suggested by a listener. And it's going to be a fun one, by the way. Um, so. I do look forward to expanding on that topic and getting away from these difficult conversation ones. Uh, but until then, look, have a, fa- uh, a fun and safe lean journey, my friends. And uh, thanks for joining up on uh, Planet Product Owner today. See you soon.